What's up, everybody? This is episode seven of the Upshift MX podcast. I'm your host, Zach Heron. Our guest today, he is the co-owner or full-time owner how do you guys you're the president and she's the vice president correct i'm pretty sure she's the president and I, the I, I think president. that's the way it goes too really but works. uh yeah president co-president of fti racing cal northrop cal thanks for coming on yeah hey awesome to be here man I've yeah, been i'm watching stoked your, to have you been watching your stuff out there it's been pretty inspiring for me considering we've known you since you were probably 14 years old yeah i was i was little yeah and uh i'm just proud to see you up here. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I appreciate that. It's been cool. All the people that have helped me out throughout my racing career have kind of reached back out to me, and uh, we had Paul obviously with Armored on a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and that was a, that was a cool story. And yeah, I'm excited to tell yours as well. You've got quite the uh, little cross country trip that you guys have been doing, and you've uh, dipped into some different sports and stuff like that. So it's going to be a good story. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty. It's quite the adventure for you know a 55 year old for I've anybody. Been, absolutely, been, been one of those guys that have been blessed to have made a living in the racing industry Absolutely. you know and anytime you can take something you're passionate about and turn it into a living it's an awesome thing but of course sometimes it takes a little bit of the passion out of it because it Everything eventually becomes a job, job. Yep, that's right exactly so. well before we get into your story i want to make sure we shout out my producer mark miller he's sitting over to the side um i forgot him that one week and i've never lived it down since and so i want to make sure everybody knows that he's the reason this sounds as good as it does the reason it looks as good as it does um so i can't thank him enough like i said i'm still really broke and so I can't pay him. He's doing this all just because he's a good friend. And so I can't thank him enough. Um, thank you guys for having us out here. And then thank you to the fans as well. Um, we've actually, we've got some people that have been listening every week. Sounds like you're a loyal fan. Yeah, we that, are. that means a lot. And so uh, thank you guys for listening. Please like, subscribe, share it. Um, we're trying to get this thing as big as we can so we can keep bringing these, these cool stories from all different areas of motorcycle racing and just uh, action sports in general for everyone to listen to. So with that, I said I want it from the very beginning. So let's take it. Boy, take it the very back. beginning. Where did it come from? Yeah, uh, basically, I grew up in uh, in an awesome area in Southern California, and uh, you know, again, I'm I'm 55, so I'm old, old as dirt. <sighs> Probably old enough to be your grandpa, but my dad's um, 55. Yeah, there you go. He's not my grandpa. He's dad. Yeah, he's, he's just, just old. Dead. <laughs> and uh, you know, like any kid in SoCal, you know, every day is like a spring day. Oh yeah. You know, it's. 59 degrees at night and I got 82 degrees 82 to to degrees in the, yeah, it's, in the daytime it's it's it was like 65 climate. and everyone was apologizing they're like the weather's so bad it was like slightly cloudy yeah. it wasn't raining just cloudy and everyone's like the weather's so bad you well guys. we do get like six days of rain a year out there on average yeah. so yeah, you know i mean it's a you got to watch out for those seasons you know they'll pop up on rain, you yeah right. real quick but you know i grew up in uh in a place called the san fernando valley it was a little suburb outside of los angeles um we had mountains with horse trails and fire roads uh, all around us within bike riding distance and you know like any kid in that area you know there was a bunch of kids with bmx bikes now bmx bikes back then they weren't like bmx bikes today just like the motorcycles back then were oh, yeah. nothing like the bikes today um but you know you you found whatever you could in a garbage can and added some parts together and made a bike and started jumping stain things and breaking things and fixing them and and uh, it was a good deal. Then I transitioned. I became a uh, probably about 12 years old. Uh, we had 
some land right down the street that was basically at the end of our block. It, it used to be a big uh, thoroughbred horse farm okay. that shut down, which became the coolest flat track. The manure piles with shovels became motocross tracks. Absolutely. And everybody in the neighborhood, except old Cal Daddy, got permission from their parents to get a motorcycle. So I was probably 10, 11 years old, maybe 12, and uh, all my friends had them, and none of them could fix a thing. Man, I could figure out how to fix anything, even at that age. Okay. So my deal was, look, can't tell my parents, your bike breaks, I'll get it running, but I get to ride it for half a day with you. <laughs> and that's how I got into dirt bikes. Okay, so cool. by the time our family had finally uh, met another family that every year they used to go to Borrego Springs, Ocotilla Wells, Glamis, stuff like that, and go riding, um, you know, I was like 14 years old. My dad let me get a motorcycle along with the rest of the family. And so we'd go out with this other family, go on vacation, go riding and stuff. And he sees me the first time on a bike. He says, obviously, uh, this isn't your first your time first on a motorcycle. Rodeo, yeah. Well, you know, I might've been on one a couple times and we just totally got into it. You know, my parents embraced it then, you know, it wasn't this evil thing that, oh my God, you're going to kill yourself. Now it was like a cool thing. And my dad was actually riding too. So, awesome. okay. um, we, we really enjoyed that stuff, but. You know, as I got a little er, little older, you know, you get into sports and you're, you know, you find out what, what do they call me? Girls. That's right. They oh, find yeah. out what those are all those about. Are dangerous. Ruined yeah. So the bike kind of got shoved to the side a little bit. And thank God I married my wife 34 years ago this year. She was my best friend's older sister, which worked out perfect. Okay. He just thought I really liked him a lot. I right. really had the hots for a sister. That's <laughs> what the reality was. But, you know, and, uh. Her father was a uh, uh, stock car driver, drove okay. outlaw type modified stock cars in, in Southern California and kind of all over the West Coast. Right. And as a matter of fact, his name's Orrin Prosser, and he was inducted in the West Coast NASCAR Hall of Fame last year. Oh, so wow, that's incredible. That was a really cool yeah, deal for awesome. us. You know, that usually that kind of thing just doesn't happen, but he was that guy. And man, we went to a race, and the next thing I knew, it's like, I, I got to get involved in this. So the motorcycle got shoved to the side, got into racing. One thing led to another. I was driving race cars. Unfortunately, you know, I wanted to run up front, and I tried to run up front, but I'd hit the wall a lot. Right. You know, so it's like you're either going to run well or you're going to knock the wall down doing it, and I knocked the wall down a lot trying to do it. So I think my wife actually put a trophy up there today that had a B main that I won, you know. Um, Still counts. Still but it went to that, flag. but it became a passion, and it went from – from um, driving them to working on them, crew chiefing them, designing snouts. I really like math and all this dynamic stuff is going on with the chassis. Just kind of how fell to make in love it, with the whole, the whole just, thing. Oh, I just embraced it. And one thing led to another. Uh, uh, you know, I said, I want to chase a dream. You know, I want to I go move back east and see if we can't make it. And for some crazy reason, my wife's like, I'll tell you what, you got five years. If you don't crew chief a NASCAR bush team, truck team, or cup team in five years, I get the option to move back. So I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. Right? And uh, at the time, I didn't realize that what I was asking her to do, you know, there was maybe 50 truck teams, 50 bush teams, and 50 cup teams. And I'm actually being pretty, pretty liberal right. on that. Um, so I was going to go try to move across the the whole United States, 3,000 miles away from everybody that I knew and 
try to get one of 150 jobs in the world. That's what I was setting out to do. But, right. you know, when you're 28, 29 years old, you're like, I got this. This is a piece of cake. You Let's know, I'm the it. man. Yeah. So sure enough, within three years, I was crew chief in a, a bush and a truck team. Okay. In the fourth year, I crew chief the Petty uh, Cummings Dodge with Jimmy Hensley's Hensley driving. And that was a really big deal, you know, to see uh, Richard Petty stealing my kids' ball caps at the Christmas party and chasing my kids around. Right. You know, I can only imagine. Yeah. For a guy from the West coast, I mean, that that's the King. And they call him that for a reason. Cause Absolutely. he really is the King. He's the guy. He's, he's probably one of the greatest bosses I've ever worked for in the racing industry, you know? And, um, and I had a lot of help on the way. I, you know, I have a dear friend of mine, uh, that his father, uh, he's passed away a couple years ago, bunk Nichols, He's a, a local guy out here in this area in okay. High Point, North Carolina. He owns some car dealerships. He uh, had everything to do with Clyde Vickers and CV Products and the okay. success they they had. Um, <clears throat> you know, without the opportunity he gave me to work at his dealership and run his race team, which was his son's race team, Perry's. Um, those guys just, you know, I couldn't have done it without them. They've, they've been a supporters and mentors uh, through my whole career out here, you know. But um, went on to Petty's, did that, and moved around and worked for Mike Skinner and Hermie Sadler and, you know, several other drivers. And how I came back to motorcycles was 10 or 12 years into being in the professional NASCAR business. The next thing I know, my best friend, Tim Clancy, he, uh, he had brought my kids to a GNCC race. Okay. And next thing I know... The boys are coming, Kyle and Kevin. Right. Um, they're coming back from this race. Dad, we got to buy a motorcycle. You got to get a motorcycle. I mean, do that to an 11 and a 14 year old or 12 and 14 year old kid and just get them all wound up yep. on it. You know, and these guys are nonstop. Well, I went down to our local Honda shop, Cycle Center in, in okay. Ashboro. We yeah. all know them. Oh, yeah. They've taken care of all of us in this area. Absolutely. I went down there, and next thing I know, not only did I buy each of them a motorcycle, but man, if they're gonna ride, I'm still not that old. I'm Absolutely. I'm gonna ride yeah, with them. So, too. Yeah, I, I quickly switched from being a crew chief and running the show to going over to the Caterpillar team, Bill Davis Racing, and I, you know, ran the Fab Shop and the Aero program over there. And now I'm home on the weekends. And it was really kind of a an epiphany. I'd bought the bikes and I was still on the road, uh, GM in a team and crew chief in one of their their truck teams, and. Uh, we were on the road like 20 weeks straight. And I realized when my oldest son at the time, he was 14, maybe just turned 15, Kyle, he said, man, you're finally off next weekend. Can we go ride those motorcycles you got? And man, you talk about hitting you like a, like a truck. Right. You know, I moved here, my kids were three and five years old. Okay. They were just little itty bitty dudes. And now I've got my son that's looking me straight in the eye. I'm not looking down at him, we're the same height. He's like, hey, you know. 20 weeks straight can we finally go ride next weekend and i mean i about fell apart to be honest with you and i i realized that it's i got to get off the road right you know these guys are going to grow up and they're going to be gone and i'm going to be just bummed out just like that yeah so that was it uh you know we we went all the way into it i gave them a choice they could ride motocross arena cross woods whatever they wanted to do they researched it and they said you know what we got to ride a lot longer 
writing in this wood series doing a hair scramble and i'm thinking what the heck is a hair scramble right you know <laughs> i grew up in southern california first of all there's not woods yeah there's not a lot right anywhere <laughs> and if there was woods there's like an oak tree every four miles so you don't even have to run hand guards mm -hmm. or anything there you know it's a bark buster yeah what, what's that so uh, we we joined a series of North Carolina Hair Scramble Association. We went out for the last three races of the year, and I thought, I know how to ride one of these things, man. I'm good to go. We showed up without handguards, by the way. Whoo! My same friend that that got my boys all jacked up on Tim Clancy got my boys all uh, jacked up on these motorcycles. I made him buy a bike too. I mean, the way I looked at it, it cost me twelve thousand dollars to get three bikes. Could you imagine that? Two thousand three, twelve thousand got you three. Now it gets you one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I said, you're, hey, you're getting a bike, too, oh, absolutely. and you're coming to this race. Shoot. He and I went out in that race. We're looking all up and down the line. Everybody's got these hand guards over here, and and we're looking up, and they were like, why do they have those? Yeah, well, after both all my fingers were bruised from the levers mm. hitting trees and squishing my fingers and everything else, and then I realized it's not a moto race like when I was a kid. It's like a two-hour race. So, you know, I went as hard as I could go. I, I made about... 30 minutes and it was probably i'm probably stretching it's probably like eight minutes but right. we're gonna say 30 <laughs> felt like a lifetime yeah edit yeah. the the eight minute part out <laughs> um and next thing i know it's it's in like august it's now this is southern california boy here's the weather there 87 degrees six percent humidity if it's a humid day it's nine percent <laughs> welcome to north carolina it's 97 degrees and it's 99 percent Humidity. Humidity. Absolutely. In California, that's called rain if it's 99%. I mean, how much more water could really be in the air? It's got to rain, but it doesn't out here. And I am basically naked in a pair of shorts. I've ripped the end out of my camel pack just because I didn't have enough energy to suck through the little one-way valve, you know, a little bite valve. <laughs> just need to drift just ran and yeah. held it up against a tree, and I'm, I'm dying. I'm thinking, how do these cats do this stuff? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my life. Only to find when I got dressed again, I went, man, I should spend $50 or whatever it was to race this thing. And here I'm laying down here, you know. So it took me about 30 minutes. I start right. There's my friend. He's naked in his underwear, not 50 feet from where I was. Same thing. Fingers bruised, you know. So we got into it, and I realized this is a really cool family atmosphere. And to be quite honest, what attracted me back to this business more than anything else was the people, you know those people in the nascar business if you do something that's cutting edge or outside the box and it's an advantage you're not going to see someone sticker on the bike you're not going to hear about the person that helped get that advantage you're going to hear none of that they it is a it secret wraps. absolutely well we had started i've been building shocks since 1987 uh for stock cars and to me you know this stuff's like God, I, I just came from one of the most well-sponsored forms of motorsport in the United States that there was. And we had shock dynos. And, you know, I've been building shocks so long, it really didn't matter what the application was. Right. We knew how to get there. It'd become like second you know, nature. With the technology, yeah. yeah. So um, we were building our own stuff. And, and we started this little business really just to help keep the kids racing and get them new gear. And, right. you know, they wanted all the, the – trick stuff oh, yeah. you know you had to have the cool graphics you gotta look good before you go that's fast. right so uh we started this little business you know just out of the shop at the house and you know next thing i know it just keeps getting bigger because unlike all the other power sports industries these people just wanted your sticker to feel like they went faster yep. they told everybody it's you know we have a, one of the first guys we helped out 
he raced in a different class than my son, but they always seem to hook up together. And uh, <clears throat> my son said, look, when we get hooked together, he could stay with me. But when I'm behind him, he's all, you got to help him. Just, Dad, can you fix his bike for him? So it's like, yeah, I'll fix it. You know, I talked to him afterwards, took his bike home with us, fix up. Guy never lost a race. He was a fifth place guy before. Now all of a sudden, that one guy, Bill Jenkinson, his name, just started telling everybody. Next thing you know, Full Travel Innovations was, was born. Was born. The kids named it. You know, we had a cool logo. It was like a shock turned yeah, sideways with it. our yeah, letters absolutely. in it. Um, and and it just started, and we had so much fun just with all those people. Enough that Doreen and I used to go to the track when we just stayed with one series. Um, we were still small enough that we could show up at the track every weekend. But by that time, I couldn't go ride anymore because I was fixing uh, other guys' stuff, helping right. along, regardless if they were a customer of ours or not. Um, we were there for the people like when my wife would take the kids and I was away, stock car racing. Like if she needed anything, that group of people in this industry are second to none. Well, it's like we did the, the NCHSA, the North yeah. Carolina Hair Scramble, when I was on 85. So it was like my second year on 85s. And I just remember we were pulling into Twin Oaks, which was in oh, Asheville yeah. back when they yeah. that was where I did my first woods race. And dad was just like kind of freaking out on the amount of just pickup Your dad trucks. didn't freak out. Yeah, no, he was like, he was like, this is just like the good old days of racing. He was yeah. like, he's like, people are chilling out, drinking a beer. Like everyone's having a good time. They're talking to each other. Yeah. It was like, you showed up, you did your race afterwards. You were done. You realistically could get out of there probably by two, three o'clock. That's right. And then you go walk into the woods. People were helping riders on the track. If you were stuck, like it was a very even more so than motocross i feel like it was a very family atmosphere yes. like everyone kind of helped everyone and so even something like what you had said with your son like i've never said ever anyone in my class i want any help with if i race them on the track i just want to beat them i don't want to help yeah. them and that's just kind of that's interesting to hear how when you come up in that type of series and those type of people because i mean we know a lot of different people i mean like hunter williams for example oh, yeah. guys that you know we know each other and i mean super friendly I've, he's taken me over to his house we've hung out we've rode yeah. together and i mean it's just a very close-knit group of people for sure and i wish that was something that even especially now like on the top amateur scales everyone kind of keeps to themselves they don't want to talk to their buddies you go up on the starting line you're not really having a bunch of conversations with people whereas like i remember on the start line sitting there chatting next to the people next yeah to that's just, right yeah what's up how you doing good to see you this weekend you know yeah how was on, last weekend on an off-road race like that there's literally like there's two guys on a line of 25 people that they're the ones looking down thinking, man, who, who do I got to beat? It's gonna, Who's the guy? They're like yeah. the really serious. The rest of us are hanging out. Hey, man, we going to the Western Sizzling after the break? Absolutely. I mean, the rest of us are planning our deal. Your buddies. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so for me, that's made my living in the, in the motorsports industry. This is blowing me away. It's a self-advertising business. So if you get in the industry and you're helping people perform better, making their bikes better and handle better and they could finish better, they tell all their competition that they have compete. You got to go see these people. So it was like, this is a natural. This is it. Right. You know, this is what, this is what we need to do. So uh, one thing leads to another. I'm still at Bill Davis. Everything's going well there. But the NASCAR industry is definitely changing from when I first entered it to now. And uh, it's kind of like uh, Caddyshack when, when uh, Bill Murray said, told Chevy Chase, you know, I got a three-year plan. You know, I'm. Just trying to, you know, work right. my, yeah, <laughs> same deal. I realize that, oh, Cal Daddy need a three-year plan because this industry is going to change. You know, everything does. Everything does. Absolutely. And, and now it has absolutely become just a place that I'm making a living. I'm, I'm losing my passion. And, you know, when it's like that, it's, 
it's time to move. Time to go, absolutely. So out of the blue, I have a friend of mine, Rick Ware, call me up and say, look, you know, we want to cross-promote NASCAR and Supercross. Okay. And I had dealt with Rick before, and, you know, he was a good friend of mine, one of the ones that was responsible for me making it possible to move out here and just see what North Carolina was okay, like. Okay, cool. And uh, I don't know. You know, it's nice being with a really big team, and you don't have to worry where your paycheck's coming from. You know, these guys aren't struggling. Caterpillar's a pretty good sponsor. Right. You know, they take care of you. And my friend's team just wasn't there yet. You know, they, they didn't have the – the great sponsor and he said look you know I'll, I'll hook you up with the the guy that wants to do this deal his name is bill coleman and he was a a big real estate or a uh, mortgage banker and at the time we're talking about this is 2006 mm-hmm. he goes i'm gonna have him call you i'm thinking yeah okay so i get this phone call he calls and he's in uh san francisco and he says uh he says hey bill coleman you know i know you talked to rick ware Look, we've read about your suspension company. You know, you're really starting to move in the motorcycle deal. Rick spoke highly about you. Said it doesn't matter what it is. That guy could build us really good race bikes, and uh, and he wanted me to run that team and put the thing together and all that deal. And I, he said, I really want you to come work for me. And I said, Look, you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable here. I'm I'm number five guy over here. I I sit next to Bill at every meeting. Right. You know. He says, Well, hey. I want to come over there and take a tour of one of these NASCAR shops. I want to see what this thing's all about. You know, if we're going to do it, we want to run Daytona, Talladega, and then run all the Supercross. He goes, can I come over there and visit? I go, I thought you are in, you know, San Francisco. He goes, I am. I'll be there about 2.30. <laughs> well, I think they had just bought a jet or something. Right. And sure enough, he and his wife and daughter come rolling in. I got to give him a tour of Bill Davis Racing at 2.30. And I was just talking to him at 7 in the morning. So I thought, this guy is serious. And he's got a contract in his hand says you need to come work for me what he didn't know is bill and i were talking about maybe putting a supercross team together because bill davis was also passionate about passionate about motorcycle right. racing he had actually rode had told me that he rode in the super bowl of motocross uh in the 70s <laughs> and i'm looking at bill bill's like six foot five and at this time bill's probably bill don't be mad at me but he's probably weighing in at 350 he's, he's a, a big giant man <laughs> and i just <laughs> took one look at him went yeah, sure you were. I bet you did, yeah. The, and I can't say what he told me. All right. <laughs> but he he said I was a lot lighter back then. Yeah. And it, that's what I, okay, yeah. But we were talking about talking to Caterpillar about maybe starting a Supercross team out of Branching out, into out the of Bill Davis Racing. Okay. And, and here this guy walks in, and it's like, wow, so, man, I, I took the thing. I went and talked to Bill right away and said, what do you think? He says, look. If you want to do it, I get it because we've already talked about all this, and I I think it's a really cool thing. If you if you go, you're good. If it doesn't work out, just get your butt back over here. Wow, that's kind of the open ended yeah, deal. It's absolutely. like sign on the dot and let's go, man. Whatever let's happens, build. Happens. So that's sure awesome. enough, you take a bunch of NASCAR guys and go build some super cross bikes. Let me tell you, they made plenty of power. They looked really good, and yeah, they were cheated up. They were, they were light. We had a lot of titanium because we knew the factory guys are going to be making some trick stuff. Right. But they didn't know what a bunch of rednecks do to these cars to <laughs> find ways to shave we've weight. Got our, and everything. We've got our own methods. So we thought we had everything so figured out. And we had fast bikes. Our second race, Phoenix, Jeff DeMent was one of our riders. He yeah. whole-shotted that thing by a mile. So they were fast. The only problem was we decided on our motors. We took some of our NASCAR technology that is now common-day stuff. We rim-finished. CT14 coded all the transmissions, cranks, everything else. 
but we also took there were yz 450s 07 models we took like a pound and a half of rotating mass out of just the crank forget about everything else we lightened up just out of the crank so these things were literally they rode like two strokes like you touch the throttle and it's Pah! that was it problem was we didn't understand that in nascar you have a seat with the harness that straps you to the car right keeps so no matter how gnarly it is the driver doesn't have to hang on right right i mean he's just kind of sitting there the right? it's hits, physical the it chair. turns everything however these bikes made it to where <laughs> you know they could if it's a 20 lap moto 10 laps they're spent this thing wants to what jacob hayes used to call it uh uh, he want you want to be Larry Loop out going across the whoops, <laughs> you know. I mean, there was just nothing you could do to control the motorcycle. So, we had some steep learning curves and uh, learning what worked, what didn't work. Um, did sometime, you guys? Did you guys kind of expect that going in, or did you did you legitimately think like, oh, we've got it figured out? Did you feel you almost had an advantage coming from the NASCAR side? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, those factory guys are good, but. You know, you're from a whole different world. We've, right? we've done some different things too. And by the second year we had pretty good stuff. We had switched over to Hondas. Right. Uh, thank God by the end of the first year, our riders got injured. You know, Jeff DeMent, he was kind of at the end of his career. He's older. And, and uh, we had, we gave some younger guys a chance, which with Tyler Bright, you know, I know you and I had talked oh, yeah, about TV and, yep. and great kid. That was his first year. Got his pro license, put him in 250 class um it was great to take those young guys and move up but it, it was a learning experience of what the professional industry was you know i was expecting it to be kind of like the north carolina series or oh, some hey, arena cross stuff yeah, that yeah. we get into the pros it's a different deal yeah. totally different deal i mean we bought all our bikes you know we had some help from some other manufacturers but we chose yamaha's we bought it yamaha wouldn't give us a chain link you know i mean just wasn't going to happen and our frames are all polished there was a reason they were polished. Everybody thought we were just being, being trick. I remember right. Jeremy Albright was still working for, uh, for uh, James Stewart at the time for okay. Kawasaki, yeah. and he came over and he said something to the effect, something to the effect that, "Hey, what's up with the polished bikes? I just want to thank you right now. James wants his polished, polished. Like and that's yeah. such, that's gonna suck so bad to make that look like that every single. Hey, good job, NASCAR. Thanks a I lot. mean, he was like, he was one of the ones that stuck. It's like shoot this is jeremy albright you know right, yeah. cool he thinks our bikes are cool and then it's like hey thanks for ruining the industry good job on the polishing well we did it because i've cut so much weight out of those things that i had to hide it somehow you know so you know polishing was just the natural yeah. deal maybe they won't notice if it sparkles in their eyes yeah absolutely but uh shoot where was i, I lost my train of thought this is the 55 thing your dad does this all the time. he, he does. Get it's bad thing. so you're a tyler bright you just oh yeah so put him in so we got tyler bright yeah and uh tyler bright he he uh, struggles to qualify a little bit, but man, once he once he qualified one, I think it was Detroit. Um, now Tyler's going, you know, and and he basically whole shotted Detroit in this heat race, and and that's when Alessi was still there. I think Alessi ended up like inching him out at the white chalk line by like a pinky finger or right, something like yeah. that. But there's a picture up here somewhere of TV, you know. I see his number plate hanging over there somewhere. Yeah, his number yeah. paste around there. I've got a whole shot picture of him somewhere. <laughs> um, but it was a really big deal for us to oh, see absolutely. this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can To imagine. see kid. Tyler Bright is my Rudy, man. I mean, that kid, Sam, his dad, is his past, awesome man, um, brought, I think, Tyler to some race somewhere. And the next thing you know, Tyler says, 
I'm going to be a professional motorcycle racer. And by God, he was. And, you know, to be a part of that, yeah, that was really, really cool, man. I mean, it was just really neat to see. Tyler Bright, Bright's biggest attribute was that kid had more heart than probably anybody I'd ever worked with in my entire life. And, you know, he would come to the shop. We wouldn't let him work on the bikes. It's like, you're not just Tyler, just do. He'd go clean the shop. The problem with cleaning the shop is it was clean. It was so clean. You wouldn't believe it. He threw half your stuff away because, you know, what? Oh, those are titanium bolts. I, thought, I saw grease on them. I thought they're. Yeah. So you had to watch Tyler on that <laughs> stuff. But but he had so much heart, so much ambition. He, you know, whether he's doing it right or wrong, he just worked. That's something that our youth could probably learn from. Now. Absolutely. You know, he might not have been uh, athletically as, you know, some guys throw their leg over a bike for the first time and we've all watched him and you just go, I've been riding for five. It's not It's the first time he it's cracked the fair. throttle. Yeah. And then there's some guys, man, they got to work for everything you get. And, and Tyler, he worked for it, man. And to, to see him become a pro, that was a really cool deal. Did that help motivate you guys as a team? Just, I mean, oh, like you, you hear betcha. so many people where it's like the riders yeah. not pulling their weight or whatever, yeah. but I feel like somebody like that who's really doing everything they can just to try to find an, an inch or a second lap, that's got to motivate just the whole team. Just totally motivate us. And the other thing that we had on that, when our 450 riders got hurt, we hired Brock Sellers, which is a dear friend of mine today. Uh, I know some of the younger viewers might not know Brock, but guys got to brush up on your history. Brock, yeah, Brock is, gosh, he's, he's probably 35 now, I'm, I'm guessing. He's got two kids, beautiful wife. Um, he works for Western Power Sports. Brock is just a, one of the most wonderful racers I've ever dealt with. And I've dealt with a bunch of racers, but, you know, we would spend hours testing and working together and doing stuff. And he would be the guy that would teach anybody. He taught my kids stuff. You know, my, my son had worked on arena cross track, road, 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 wanted to race arena cross, but he still had that woods look, you know, mm -hmm. and woods riders start I, jumping. I it's just kind of different. And I said, Brock, you know, we, I don't know what to tell him. And Brock and I were spending the week together uh, doing some suspension testing. And, and he goes, well, let, let's go down. We went down to East. He goes, where's an outlaw track? Just, I don't want anybody to know me. I just want to go have fun again. Like when I was good, I said, man, we go to East Bend. Absolutely. So we went down to East Bend. He goes, I'll watch Kevin ride there. Go ride with him and I'll fix him up. Sure enough, it took Brock like 30 seconds of riding with Kevin. Told him to sit on his bike after the moto. Basically, Kevin was holding on to the motorcycle with his arms. And apparently, I thought that's what you were supposed to hold on to the bike with. But after talking to Brock, he said, hey, your arms are to turn the handlebars and control the levers and twist the throttle. They're not to hang on to the bike with. And Kevin says, well, I grip with my knees. He goes... Yeah, that's all great that you grip with the knees, but just move your body. You know, if you're on the gas, obviously you're going to be more on the attack position until your arms are getting pulled. Next thing you know, we go to Nashville. Kevin won practice, the heat race, the ra he won everything. It looked like he was a veteran arena cross race. You know, this is my youngest son. Oh yeah. And I'm like, that's from the guy, a pro like that. Thirty seconds, just thirty seconds. At like, it, yeah. oh, I got Kevin. He'll he'll win it all now. It's like <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So I met Brock. We became friends with Brock and. And that, that's when everything started rolling pretty good. Of course, then it happened, and that was 2008. You're too young to remember it. But all of you older guys out there remember 2008. That's basically by September of 2008, the world we know and live in was falling off a cliff. And my contract was for two years. I had the plan that I'm going to work this deal on Supercross for two years. At the end of that 2008 outdoor national season, we were starting – 
FTI as our full-time only income business. The okay. business, we've been around since 2003. Um, that's when we got our first LLC for the company. And, um, <clears throat> but we always had another source of income. Right, you know, else, I always yeah. had a big NASCAR job or the Supercross job or something else going on. But it's like, you know what? It's time to give back to the community. Money's good. Everything was wonderful before uh, 2008. And uh, we said, we're, we're going to get together and we'll have this big shop with a test facility and, and, uh, and we're going to give it a go. Of course, by February of 2008, my checks start, started to not show up. And, you know, shoot, at the time, I'm, I'm not a financial genius by any means. I'm, I'm an idiot as far as financial stuff yeah, goes. And I don't even fly. hardly watch the news. I didn't know what was really happening. I don't think anybody really knew what was happening. And by the end of 2008, you know, we had helped keep the team go and every, keep the team, the team going and the whole ball of wax. The next thing I know, I'm $180,000 in the hole. And my friend, Bill Coleman, that was the sponsor of the whole thing. Right. He has now lost everything. And a lot of people always ask me, yeah, did that guy make it, man? That guy still is my friend today. He's the most wonderful man. Um, he, uh, you know, he got caught on hard times just like everybody else did, but he was on the lending institution side of it. And he was good enough when everything was unraveling um, that he made sure he, he uh, kept us on the insurance. And mm -hmm. that was just a big thing. Uh, not real common knowledge but my my wife had got cancer during part of that oh, thing wow. it was non-invasive she's a cancer survivor now um but it was a big deal back in those days awesome. to get uh insurance yeah you know if you ever had anything with this this c in it you're you're done right and and people re don't realize until it happens to them we've never spent a day in the hospital that have our kids you know right. and all of a sudden you get that and man you're you have nothing so he was a good enough guy. We still talk all the time, and and uh, he's one of those guys. If he becomes the multimillionaire again, he'll probably pay me back with interest. He's just <laughs> one of those guys. Right. I did not let you know. It's just a thing that happened. But on the FTI side, my wife looked at us. Now we're in the shop. We got the track, got all the stuff, but nobody has a dime. Yeah. So she says, "What are we gonna do?" I said, "You know what? It just can't get any worse than it is right now. It can't. So anything we make." from today forward september 2008 forward anything that's in the positive direction will be good it's going to be hard it's going to suck um it's going to be it's going to be tough you know who knows what's going to happen but here we are you know it's 2019 so we're uh 11 years removed from that time yeah. uh, you know would i say that we're making millions everybody thinks in this business man they must be killing i got a four thousand square foot shop and all this technology with dinos and all that stuff like this is a hard industry to make a living in i'm sure you'll probably have a show about it you need to interview your dad you know this yeah. showroom we're sitting in here is now a third of the size of what it used to be we used to move a lot of product here and now we're in kind of i call it the power sports 4.0 stage yep you know and so it's a very hard business to to um to keep it going i just kind of remember i mean you're right I, I was obviously i was a little too young to understand what was going on but i just remember dad saying like i'm in a discretionary income sport yeah he was like what's going to go first like the car or the bike and yeah. and that's when it kind of made sense i was like okay this isn't just like at the end of the day because like to me i've you know i got on a bike at like three years old like yeah. i've always had a bike i've never been in a situation where it's like the bike has to go and dad's like 
that's going to be the situation for a lot of people now. Like things yeah. are just just significantly changed. It's really crazy how uh, how humans are. You know, I knew so many people that lost their jobs or businesses and everything else, and that bike was sitting over there in the corner. And thank God they just went. You know what? I don't have a job to drive to anymore. That I just had to drive forty minutes every day and use gas. That motocross track, I go over to Twin Oaks. Yep. Five minutes down the road, my bike only burns two gallons of gas. I mean, they would go mow somebody's lawn, and thank God they were still riding. Of course, we're pretty compassionate people, so I would see these stories, and then even though we're down our leg, it's like, what's going to be being a little more broke? Yeah. Who cares, man? Let's let's get that guy fixed so at least, you know, not so much fork oil leaking on the caliper that his front brakes don't work. Let's, right. You know, we, we started helping people out, and I just believe that if you're like that, it all comes around. Um, like I say, I'll, I'll probably never get rich in this business, but we've we've survived in an industry that is your, uh, you know, it's your toy that you're playing with, and the toys aren't getting cheaper. You know, I by mean, any means. Uh, one of my friends just bought a new Husky Factory Edition, 19 and a half, 450, and yeah, that's a twelve thousand dollar motorcycle. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, to be to be relative. You know, my first bike was a year-old CR125. I gave $600 for it. I mean, I mowed lawns, and I made half of it. My dad gave me the other half. But you could save $600 in, yeah. in 1978. Right. You could do that. I don't know a kid that could go mow lawns for a summer and put down $6,000 yeah. on the 12th. And Dad's just got an extra six grand to throw. It just doesn't work like that anymore. Exactly. Money's not that loose. So the industry is getting more expensive. Are the bikes tricked? Yes, I rode that new 450 trickest 450 i've ever rode in my absolute life it is it is so cool to ride on a 220 pound 450 bike that's perfect fits you perfect does everything perfect you i know, still freak out every time somebody just presses a button and the bike cranks up yeah like, that's the most awesome yeah, thing for us old guys in the I, world. well i've got to start make, back in my day under, if you're under 30 <laughs> years old i think they ought to make kickstarts illegal you guys have to kick them at that plus 30 we should have the button it could be our equalizer. We kick you over if you stall your bike. You know, we got a little chance to get ahead of you. Well, okay, so talk about the NCHSA. <laughs> I don't think I ever started a race closer than 40 seconds behind last place. Dead engine start. I, the last race, we didn't even worry about it. Like, I wasn't even really that stressed out about trying because I knew I was going to be last. Yeah. And so we're coming from the back every time. I get one of those trick little buttons now. I might have a chance. Yeah. I mean, we might have so to. So you're saying there's a chance? There's a chance. There's a chance. There's, yeah, there's right. a chance. Dad, you heard that. I, I know a bike that's got a button on it now, so we we might have to trick something out. Get those hand guards set yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. Get yep. you some new yep. thugs. We yep. got a new hand guard out. Um, basically, we've been really uh, fortunate to be blessed with a lot of people in this industry. As you know, you guys have, have seen them, and some of you out there probably have. We've we probably built four, five, six bikes a year uh, for the past 10 years for the magazine yeah go ahead and name off some of these magazines because i mean for those of you that don't know like even if you've never been to fti or like seen anything online you guys have been in several different magazines and those bikes are so nice yeah well how, how that all came about i have a uh old friend of mine scott highland that that used to work over there at cv4 and he he's always been a moto guy you know and he gets he's so passionate gets all jacked up and excited we call him hair on fire half the time you know because he he just loves this stuff you know if you talk titanium powder coated carbon fiber scott i mean he's all about it oh yeah he's he's vibrating across the floor yeah so um anyway he says hey you know we want to build a bike for dirt bike magazine and and they had hired steve johnson over there which is i know there's a lot of steve johnson's this is steve johnson that he's one of my best friends 
He was with Weisco for 26 years. That's kind of a long time. That's a long time. Um, he was basically family over there. He grew up with the Coombs. You know, he was a former uh, pro motocross guy. Career ended early, destroyed his shoulders, um, and, you know, went basically over to Weisco. Couldn't race, and those guys had always helped him, and he's from Ohio, so he started working well. Steve is, I was telling you before the show, it, when you roll with Steve to any motocross event, supercross event, it's like you're hanging out with Elvis or whoever would be comparable to Elvis now in your generation. Justin Bieber. Or something. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Justin know. Bieber. There you go. Uh, the man. Dear friend of mine. And, and these magazine bikes, you know, they, they came to me and they said, look, you build really trick stuff. How about building a bike for a dirt bike magazine? We want to build a CRF 450. And I said, yeah, what's involved? You know, I mean, we're, we're dead broke. It's 2009, you know, but can't hurt. Yeah. Right. Just some time. 168 hours in a week and if you work 40 and sleep 40 that that still gives you a bunch of hours left i'll build one at night if i have to next thing i know it's like christmas man there is parts coming for this bike all sorts of stuff and uh we build this bike and the guys fly out from from dirt bike magazine adam booth still dear friends with him today uh, they fly out to ride this bike and it was a really cool deal you know adam's checking it out because this is the new company. Now, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but there's some really cool articles on new trick, you know, bikes that people rebuild. But sometimes those articles never even make it because somebody builds a bike and something breaks and one of the editors gets hurt. So they're expecting, all right, this new guy from North Carolina is building this bike. They don't care what your right. credentials in. If that thing is not spot on, perfect, I mean, then you're never going to do a magazine bike again. It's just, they'll never fly back out here. And uh, that's the only way we kind of roll over here anyway. I'm, I'm really anal retentive. Don't know if I can say that on the show, but, you know, I, I want everything to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't want laziness to be the excuse why it's not perfect. So so we build this thing, and, and Adam rides it, and he's, like, stoked with it. You know, he's he's like, this is really good. Hey, if you, if you want to do any other bikes, you know, anytime, I'll fly out here. Next thing is, how about a woods bike? We'll go to Ohio and shoot that. Steve Johnson's the one that kept driving this deal. He'd been friends with Adam and and uh, the editor of Dirt Bike, all those guys. Everybody right. in the industry knows Steve. So next thing you know, we're doing bikes for for Dirt Bike Magazine, Motocross Action. Uh, did one for Andy Boyer for uh, uh, that was like that retro uh, Trans World, Trans World, right? Okay. Shoot, I'm gonna mess it up. It's Racer X. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, either way, Trans World Race Rex, we've done a lot of magazine bikes every year and made relationships with these guys. And knowing after Adam let us know the first time, just make it, just keep making them like this. We'll come wherever you build them. So we're we're blessed to have worked with companies like, you know, Ken and Glenn Lavens over at Cycra. Absolutely. Uh, CV4 is now shut down. They're reorganizing. It's Exeldyne Technologies now. But we have done a ton of work with those guys. Primarily with Scott and mm -hmm. Steve Johnson, um, with Weisco and Prox and Works Connection, and I could list Yoshimura, FMF, all these guys, just wonderful people making wonderful products. And, you know, we've been blessed to be able to work with those guys and then have input in the industry. If we something that, see something that isn't quite up to par and that there's a problem, now I know the guys. I call them and say, hey, you know, you didn't tap these bolts in these things. Better keep an eye on it. And so I've become an asset for them as, for them well, as well to right. 
say you got a problem before something gets out there let's let's test it and beat the crud out of it and make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do and if they need any engineering help they can lean on us and it's a good deal recluse clutches you know i've been dealing with recluse our companies basically start at the same time uh, met patrick Cothro over there not because the clutch was the perfect clutch because there was a problem on a customer's bike and i was the guy that wasn't real happy about it right <laughs> and uh long lasting relationship those guys are all just such wonderful be people building killer products and they're trying to help guys like us make a living while at the same time not breaking the bank for the racer giving them the best product they have they might pay a lot more for the for the premium stuff but there's a reason for it absolutely you know yeah I mean? the this products stuff, is worth the prices they can make it you yeah betcha. i mean it's uh well, and I mean, I think that's something that's, that you have said kind of throughout your whole story. You know, what you said about you never want laziness to be the excuse. Like, yep. you, whatever it is you've been in, because, I mean, I've known you, like you said, it's it's been a long time. And, I mean, everything you do, you do to the max. I mean, I know, like, when we were getting ready for Loretta's, you were, is there anything wrong with the suspension? Is there anything we can do to help? I know you've tested with some of your other guys that go out there. And, I mean, yeah. it's uh, whether it's, you know, a local guy like me or, or somebody like Jacob Hayes or somebody like a race team you or betcha. something like that. You give everyone the exact same amount of attention. You take care of, of everybody the same way. And, I mean, um, locally racing around here, you guys are, are obviously very popular. And, I mean, you know, whether it's Tyler Williams or Hunter Williams or any of these guys that I grew up racing, everyone loves it. I yeah. mean, it's just like – you know, even if there is a problem with their suspension, they just call Cal and Cal yeah. takes care of it. I mean, T Gardner, who's working in the shop now, I've grown up yeah. racing against him. Yeah. And I mean, he's always, well, you know, this feels a little weird. I'm probably going to call Cal on the way home <laughs> yeah, and see what he right. thinks about it. Cause I mean, people I think have begun to look at you as more almost like a father figure. You know, if you don't know somebody like me, who's got a dad in the industry, I let him handle all that. Yeah. But somebody who doesn't, uh, Dylan Cohen, I told him I'd give him a shout out. Yeah. Um, he was just in here a minute ago. And I mean, we've his got his bib up yeah. right next to yours Big up here. I don't know if the camera yep. can see that, but yep. they're I had to make sure everybody there. could see that. There yep. we go. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and so, you know, his dad's not a racer. And so it seemed like he came to you for a lot of stuff. And, That's you know, right. you didn't turn anybody away. You, you make sure to try to help everyone. And I think that people like you, that, that like you said, foster that community. You do it. Not because it's going to make you money, but because it's it's right. You help these people. You understand that passion behind racing, and uh, I think that's something that that the sport desperately needs more of right now. Yeah, I, you know, our our whole premise behind this deal. Uh, my wife Doreen is, you know, she's a quiet one. I'm the one that does all the talking all the time, and it works out perfect. You know, um, then she doesn't have to. She's yeah, a little absolutely. she's a little <laughs> more bashful than I am. So um, we basically we like to see people with the smile on their face. I, I love to see, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story. We're probably running out of time, but when I got involved in NASCAR business, I worked for some of the biggest teams in the industry and some of the smallest teams in the industry, just trying to find a way to find, you know, like Charlie Brown and the great pumpkin. I always right. call it Charlie Brown, the great sponsor, right? They're, <laughs> they're guys that are, man, they're working just as hard. Most of the time, harder than the guys that have all the resources. And I learned a long time ago from a really smart engineer that worked for us at Bill Davis, you know, he said, he said, there might be teams that have more resources than us, but if we could utilize 95% of the resources that we have, we could compete with them because those guys with all those resources, they're only utilizing 50%. Yeah. I thought that was really just brilliant, you know? Well, there's a whole bunch of people, they might not have as much money, but if I have a little bit more knowledge and I could become that resource for them to help them, I, I thought I was going to move here from Southern California and I was going to have a Winston Cup championship ring on every finger. I mean, that's just where I was. I, I would not quit 
until I knew everything I needed to know to make everything happen. Of course, you can't do every single thing yourself. There's luck involved. There's spirituality involved. Should have prayed a lot more back then, right. you know. Um, but what I did realize later on was when I'd have one of my crew members call me up from Victory Circle, you know, and I'm looking at him in Victory Circle. And he says, Cal, thanks. This is my dream. This is a dream come true. I'm on a winning NASCAR team in Victory Circle at the t highest series at Bristol. And if it wasn't for you, I won. And I realized in that moment, and I told this story at a big uh, Parts Unlimited party up in uh, the trade show in Indiana okay, that your yeah. dad and I would yeah, have yeah. to go to. Told this story to a group of guys at an after party, a Parts Unlimited after Right. There's probably eight or ten guys around there going, hey, what about the NASCAR? They think the NASCAR deal is so cool. So cool. Yeah. And me, yeah, yeah. I, I'm digging the Supercross deal. <laughs> I think it's so cool. And, you know, I was telling him about this this friend of mine. His name's Jason Binger. He was a guy that just needed a job. We were the, I was the last shop he showed up at. One thing leads to there, and it's like, I'll hire you. Don't ditch me. At the end of the year, you can leave. Don't ditch me. Shoot, he ended up living on our couch for a year, <laughs> became dear friends, met his wife at one of the racetracks i was the best man at his wedding in wisconsin wow. <laughs> he's now got two beautiful girls and he's done everything you could possibly do in the business going over the wall and everything else and so i told the story about this phone call they said did you win any champions there yeah not at the biggest level i didn't win any i said but let me tell you a story about jason so i tell him that what's going on is the daytona race during the after party i think it was a firecracker race or whatever it must have been fourth of july or something or it was a 500 but he was working for Jack Roush. Matt Kenseth was the driver that won Roush's first uh, race at Daytona. Okay. And I'm probably messing the story up, but it's basically that. <laughs> and all these guys are going, they're going, I said, hey, guys, by the way, that guy I was just telling you, Binger, that's him, the third guy on the right from the driver right there. They just won the yeah. deal. And so they just heard the whole story about NASCAR and, you know, my excuse for never winning the championship. Right. But this was even bigger. And as I tell them that's him, he takes his phone out of his pocket, hits the button. There I got my phone. It's like, there you go. Hey, guys, check Says the name. Says on it. And, man, I, bud, you're on speaker, bro. We won. Yeah, it was a deep. We just won the game, Toto, man. You are the man. I didn't do anything if it wasn't for you. And I realized right then, feels a lot more to help somebody else get where they want to be then you anything any champ you can say oh well i want to be here and i want to be a champion blah 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 man you help somebody else get where they want to be you know it's biblical it it is the coolest greatest feeling and that's what we try to pass on to this it is so much fun seeing a dad and a son out there getting it on a motocross track you know we tell lessons here i've probably driven customers away telling about me giving my kid a hard time at four years old at a BMX race. I was that dad. I was the literally dad. Mm -hmm. I was the bad guy. And my wife ratted me out to one of my good friends, Will Harper. And I could beat the crud out of Will Harper at the time, but I was working on his race car. He stuck his foot on the creeper so I couldn't get out there and dot his eye. And he let me know after she ratted me out, don't be that guy. You're a jackass. Sometimes <laughs> your kids don't feel like pedaling. He's four years old and he was up the night before because you were racing. He was up with his cousin till three. Don't be that guy. I've told so many dads that stories that I know they're the ones at the racetrack that are giving that kid a hard time. Yeah. You know, and I break down and I say, look, you know, it's all about Caddyshack. They show that little Caddy trophy. The trophy's this big, you know. It's next to a tab can. When they pan out, you realize mm -hmm. the can is three times the size. I said, do you think your kid wants a Caddyshack trophy, the little inch and a half one? Or do you think he wants that 
big three foot tall one. Go, well, he wants a three foot tall. Which one do you want? You want the three foot tall one? Absolutely. The okay. Better. So here's what we do know. You guys want the same thing. Now, how are you going to help him get it? Do you think that your kid doesn't already know when you tell him elbow down and give it full throttle that that he already knows that makes the motor go faster? Right. <laughs> There's a reason he's not twisting the thing down. Your job as a dad is to be his eyes, ears, his basic video camera. And if you see him struggling in the area, you look at the kid that's not and you go, wow, that kid's got his butt on the corner of the seat. He's waiting the outside peg. My kid's in the center of the seat and falling over. When your kid comes and asks you, I keep falling over in that corner. Hey, see number 14 over there? Yeah. He's got his butt on the corner of the seat. His bike's over, but he's kind of straighter up. Man, he's everything on that outside peg. That's what he's doing. Really, Dad? Because he asked you. Boy, you do that stuff? Let me tell you. After that race, regardless of where he feels, finishes, your kid is so happy. He's high-fiving you after the race because he finally didn't fall over in a corner. And you guys are, again, they don't have them anymore out here, but they used to, by gosh, when my kids are right. You're at the Western Sizzling. You're partying down. <laughs> you know, all you could eat, you know, banana pudding or whatever the heck it was. But you had the greatest experience with your kid. And that's what I want to see these parents have. And that, to me, is like winning the Daytona 500. It's like winning every championship you ever wanted. If I could see that with my customers, hey, and some of them, when you tell them, oh, somebody must have told you, I yell at my kid every time. That's just the way I'm going to do it. Hey, well, you know, see how it works for you, and yeah. I'll talk to you later. I might not ever see him again. I really don't care. Yeah. I, I, because a bunch of them go, hey, I, I do that. How much fun is it on the way home? My daughter hates me. My wife hates me. <laughs> my son that I chewed out hates me. I pretty much hate me when I do. You guys go to the Western Sizzling or Golden Corral or Hardee's or whatever it is. Go celebrate. Nope. No, we're going straight home, and they usually don't talk to me for three or four days. Yep. So I'll tell you what, you try it my way and see how it works and you will enjoy yourself. And man, you do that again. That's my Daytona 500. That's my Winston Cup championship. That's my everything. So that's why we're here. We want to help. If we can make a living doing it, awesome. I, I do want to uh, uh, give a shout out. That's Steve Johnson I was yeah, telling you. Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's kind of our director of marketing now. He's helping us out with this new handguard system and everything else. And Steve Johnson has just been a great friend, great mentor in the industry. Um, we've had some rumors go around the racetrack. Some customers have told us that some of the Loretta Lynn's qualifiers that somebody's spreading stuff that we're, oh, we're going out of business and we're not doing. And I put a little article out on Facebook. I usually don't write anything on Facebook, primarily because I'm an old guy, hardly know how to operate it. <laughs> um, but as a matter of fact, we do have exciting things going on, and people might have heard some rumors. As a matter of fact, we're, we're going to have an FTI East, which is what we currently are now. Right. Um, and we are talking about having an FTI West. You know, wow, all my okay. family is 3,000 miles away. We need to help help out with that. Isaiah Murph, you know yeah. Isaiah, oh, yeah, you've been with Isaiah. Isaiah's been with me, he's now 32 years old, I think. He's been with me since he's 18. I've taught him everything in the industry. He's like family to us. Um, Isaiah and Kevin, my son, yeah. might be here running this end of it. And I'm gonna start a new adventure sometime in the future. It could be five months, it could be five years. But the rumor that's going on that that we're out of we're, we've gone out of business. They've been saying that well since CB4, which is on High Tech right, Boulevard, with right. us went out of business. Those guys were owned by they've never owned us. My wife's always owned us. Um, so it's a really and you know I couldn't say anything. Right. And I thought, well, I'll just tell them exactly what's going on. Absolutely. 
this business is changing. You know, it's a big shop, it's big overhead, and and it's a evolving industry. Things things aren't the same. We probably will scale the shop down and, and be in a smaller area, and that will enable me to have enough money to keep the overhead down, so I could have a second location. And I'm really really excited about it um, to be able to go back to both coasts, enjoy this industry. Maybe you come out there. I'll yeah, have absolutely. We might yeah. have some uh, bikes. Uh, as part of our program out there, started an adventure bike deal okay, in Gardnerville, cool, yeah. Nevada area, which you could ride over to Lake Tahoe through the Sierras off-road. Wow. You could okay. ride to Reno. You could ride to Vegas. So we're talking about kind of expanding it. Yeah. Instead of making stuff smaller, it's probably going to get, get bigger. quite a bit bigger. Yeah. I dream really big. So, you There's know, a way to do it doesn't That's cost it, you much to dream. And when it starts costing, Doreen makes sure that she says, <laughs> you can't afford that, but we'll find a way, right? We'll honey? go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking her into. I talked her into moving three thousand miles away. You know, I got it covered. Well, and I mean, I think looking at the way you guys handle things and the way you guys treat your customers, whether it's on the East Coast, the West Coast, if you, wherever, how does how does somebody not like that? I mean, yeah. like when you get that personal experience, you walk away knowing that you don't feel like you just got shafted. You know, the guy took care of you. You know, he wants what's best for you. I mean, just that story right there. I mean, this is such a family sport. I mean, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, there are risks that come to it, and and I think people get kind of caught up on that and they're like, well, I'm doing all this risk, but it's, it's really not. I mean, I'm not anybody in the sport of motocross racing, but this is all I think about. This yeah. has been, you know, my childhood has been absolutely amazing because of just like you said, those trips to the track, those trips back from the track, those nights at East Bend, yeah. that's where I rode my first race at. And that's so, right. I mean, it's, it's just, when you get bit by that bug, it, there's something about it. And the whole atmosphere of racing guys that understand what it takes to do what we do, guys that understand what it takes to get to whatever level it is you're on there's there's a respect that all riders have for each other and the families and everything like that and so yeah i uh, i didn't know any of that was going on and so that's that's really exciting news yeah. and uh yeah keep me keep me updated on that because yeah, i'd love it, to come over to oh the other yeah, side. yeah, yeah I, i'm sure you and your dad will be coming down for it it'll have to what be did a, i tell you i've, I've gone to your California. mom could come Doreen will take her over to to Tahoe and okay. stuff in Heavenly Valley, but we're going to be sitting on dirt bikes. Oh, yeah. Can't yeah. Well, see, I got to go to California this the, earlier this year. I got Sweet. to go to San Diego, and yeah. I wound up at Paula Raceway. Oh, nice. And I was like, man, I wonder if you could rent a bike somewhere around here. I was itching. Oh, and come so. on. You're world famous now. Oh, yeah. Well, we're getting there. Podcast. We're getting there. Getting there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We're going to have to take this thing to the West Coast up yeah, to the next West edition. There so, you go. Uh, I yeah. know some people that know some people over there. Well, yeah. you have your people call my people. I'll have your people call we'll have everything worked out. We'll have you covered. Well, Cal, I can't I can't thank you enough for coming on. You uh, you let us take over your shop here at the end of the day. Doreen, she's hanging out over there. She's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, they let us come take over their shop today. I can't thank you enough for for telling your story and uh, for being for being one of the good people out here. You know you. Well, man, we re- we really appreciate that. I mean, we appreciate you coming out here to our shop and and shooting this. You know, I'm just so proud of you. You know that story you did on Jacob Hayes and and Paul. Paul and I are dear yeah. friends and. Uh, you know, when I see a guy like Jacob, that that deal, we rarely had our name on Jacob's bike because he had a Team Green deal. But whenever Jacob needed help since he was a little kid, we were the ones there for him. And, you know, we, we did a magazine bike for him to, to because nobody was giving anybody anything at the time because right. of the big crash in 2008. All we did it for had nothing to do with us. That was a deal to get somebody to recognize that this is a good kid that has just an abundance of talent. He's so fast. That for whatever reason, this is where he was at, and he was on his own, and he needed a ride. And to watch what happened, 
it's unbelievable. How proud of you, Jake. Oh, yeah. Just to know that is your buddy. Just to know him the little bit that I do. And now, you know, you get to see him on TV. And he's not like just a guy on TV. Like, he's up there racing against the best in the world. Like, yeah, you get a sense of pride. Just know I never try to bug Jacob. But for all of you guys that watch Jacob out there, here's who this kid is. Like, I'm nobody, right? I've helped him out a little bit. I've known him for a long time. But if I text Jacob right now, wherever he's at, if he's not riding on his motorcycle, in five minutes, it, what do you need, Cal? Are you okay? Yeah. I mean, instantly, he does not forget where he's come from at all. He is such a good young man, uh, super proud of him. And, and man, that's what, again, that's what it's all about. You get to see somebody accomplish their dream and look for good things in the outdoors. I have a feeling Jacob's going to. I do too. Surprise! I can't, I can't wait to see people it. out yeah. there. It's going to be. I got to see him when he was really in Muddy Creek when he was on the the Cowie, like when he had just right. like decided he was going to show up and do an outdoor national, yeah. and he's like finishing eleventh. Yeah. And just oh, he's so fast. Yeah. 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 I, I'm excited to see what it comes from. And uh, yeah, anybody that hasn't watched Jacobs is episode four, and then Paul Sachak at Armor Graphics is episode five. Um, yeah, guy. You know, we're going to try to keep bringing awesome stories like this for. Um, local and then you know we're trying to spread out we're trying to get all different stories we're uh, we're still working on getting itunes and everything set up we're spot we're on spotify and soundcloud but uh, once we get that set up we'll start doing a little bit more audio stuff so i can call some people it's, it's difficult to come out to places that aren't local to me um but yeah just trying to, to take this as big as we can and uh, make this a another it's gonna story. happen if Absolutely. you dream it it'll happen remember that, i was a i was a 29 year old guy with two little kids said I'm at work in the NASCAR business. Woohoo! And suckered my wife into doing it. It took a few years, but I had a five year five year plan. I made it in three. Hey. So it can happen. You could go, you're doing a great job. I mean, every time I've ever heard you announce a race, I remember you were just a kid announcing yeah. at Zoo City. Broken and, shoulder and, your, and dad, everything. Yeah. your dad and I are talking there, and I'm like, God, who's announcing, man? This guy's getting that's that's my broke up son in the yeah. booth. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, I knew it was your calling. So you're doing a great job and and it's 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 good to see, man. I I'm really proud of. You. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, it's uh, kind of funny how it all worked out, but uh, I'm gonna talk about it either way. So I might as well let other people hear it. And so there you go. Uh, yeah, we're gonna just try to keep doing this thing and see where it goes from here. Perfect. So uh, with that, guys, this has been episode seven. Please like, comment, subscribe, share, whatever it is that you can do. Do it, please. Um, leave some comments if. I did something wrong. I don't think I said um as many this time. I, I only had like six of them on myself that I counted. Okay, yeah. So we've been trying to keep good. count of it, but yeah. uh, I'm doing a little better. So any any criticism, anything like that? Um, oh, there's one. There, there it is. Oh, I ruined it. And so <laughs> please let us know and reach out. Um, there's another one. We'll be back next week before I say another one. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Cal and Doreen. All right, thank you. Check them out, FTI. We're going to link all their stuff in. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys around the races. Sounds good. Awesome.